this lonely road, trying to make it home, doing it by my lonesome pistol, who wants some, I'm fighting for my soul, God get at you boy, you try to go God fall back, I go hard, on this lonely road, trying to make it home, doing it by my lonesome pistol, who wants some, Welcome to the Justified Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Justified on FX. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. Uh, this week, we interviewed Taylor Elmore. You may know him as a writer-producer uh, on the TV series Justified. Uh, we've interviewed him once before. We got the opportunity again after the uh, Season 3 wrap-up. Yeah, just in case you do not know, he was the writer of Season 2 episodes uh, Brothers Keeper. Okay. And uh, Cottonmouth, mm-hmm. I believe. And season three, he wrote The Devil You Know and the uh, penultimate episode, Coalition. Yeah, good episode. So we talked a lot about that and how the season wrapped up. Uh, tried to prize much thoughts from him for the <laughs> season going forward. To yeah, season four. Greater or less success. Uh, and that's a pretty good setup for it, right? Yeah, definitely. So without further ado, here is the interview. What what have you been doing now, or what are you doing now, and what does your off season look like? Yeah, I mean we uh, we tend to go in uh, at, the, you know, at the end of each season, and kind of talk about the next season, and I think at the end of this season, Graham and us have been talking more about not just the next season, but sort of where the series of Justified is going to go, and we're looking at about a six season you know arc for the story, and sort of so we've been talking not just about season four, but about you know looking for guideposts to take us through uh, all the way through the story, you know, with Boyd and, and uh, Raylan and what, you know, what that, that engine's going to look like uh, through the life of the series from here on. Mm-hmm. So we've been kind of doing that more than anything. Does that uh, six-series arc, does that kind of encompass season one, or is that not included since it was a little more uh, procedural and not really part of a larger story arc? I think it includes, yeah, it definitely includes, you know, particularly that back half of season one where the where the Boyd story really started to take off and the Arlo, uh, you know, the sort of history between Arlo and Raylan sort of started to come together. I think, it, you know, that that feels, you know, like a part of the piece. Plus the, uh, as procedural as it kind of was that first that first half of the season, it, it did launch him from Miami into Kentucky, you know, and like that that was sort of the inciting incident for the for the overall story arc. So, uh, so yeah, definitely season one. So we're thinking six overall and, and planning it towards that, you know, towards that ending at the, uh, the end of season six. So it sounds like you're creatively halfway through the season or the series life lifespan. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess so. At, at, you know, looking at it this way, that would that would be the way. Um, I, I think it's good. I think season three really sort of after after sort of the the big thing that happened in season two, which was um, this, this this large Harlan story with with uh, Mags and. The Bennett clan, I think season three was sort of, you know, not just this, but there was a little bit of resetting the table for the play, for the power players that will run this, you know, run this story through the rest of its life. And uh, I think, you know, dealing with quarrels and dealing with the carpetbagger and sort of dispatching him and then moving on to what's next is uh, what we're really focusing on for four. Yeah, we're all very interested to see what, what comes next, whether it's these characters or new characters. I mean, I, I love the characters you guys created in Season 3. Quarles, to me, was such a phenomenal villain. Uh, and just him teamed up with Duffy. Uh, it really it, – it seemed like you got to play a little bit more with uh, the plot this time because you had more villains to work with. Yeah, I, I think, you know, to our – Sometimes our, I think there's sometimes I really work for us, and then other times it causes a lot of, you know, just a lot of frustration. And because and it, it, there were a lot of 
you know, plates in the air that we were trying to spin, and um, particularly we started to get towards the end of the season, and uh, running up against the kind of production realities and, and, and budget realities that we were looking at, it was like, wow, we really have to resolve a lot of stuff that we've started. Um, and so, it, you know, it was, it was a challenge getting these, particularly those last three episodes, um, really to come together, uh, given the circumstances, but I mean, it feels like it came together pretty satisfying for us. I mean, there were a couple of things that we didn't get to do that we wanted to do, and we'll just, you know, roll that stuff on into later seasons. And uh, But mostly it seemed to come together. Uh, the last time we talked to you, I think we had just finished the fourth episode, so we didn't really understand what was going on with the uh, Quarles and Limehouse. I got to say, did you guys see Quarles and, and Neil's work there being as, just like, as broad and over-the-top as it eventually got? Uh, which I found hugely entertaining, mm-hmm. but I did not see that coming from the first, you know, kind of four episode mini arc that they started off on. No, I think we, I think they developed, you know, which was sort of the same thing that happened uh, even in season two, which we started to see who was going to pop and who was going to, you know, function in other roles. And I, these guys came in and, and Neil embraced the role initially and sort of, you know, I feel like he came in and sort of, but he was, he was sort of buttoned down as the character was buttoned down. As he got looser, the character got looser. And uh, and that just really happened sort of organically. We started reacting to the things that he was doing. And he started reacting to the stuff that he was reading. And I think I think it, it you know, came together in a nice, uh, a nice blend. Um, Limehouse was, um, Limehouse is definitely more of a character that we were spinning out over a longer arc. So he had a little less to do in season three, then I think he might. I'm not sure we're still talking about it, but what what our, our general sense of him is that he's going to loom larger for a longer period of time than Quarles. Quarles was sort of like a firework that we, you know, we fired up into the air and let him, you know, kind of spin out and, and blow up. Whereas Limehouse is something that we're, you know, he's a bigger part of the uh, the, the story architecture um, than I think Quarles was ultimately. Uh, th- but, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Just following up on Quarles, the other thing I noticed in you guys' billing, billing up of his character is the later in the season we got, uh, the more vicious you writers got in your uh, visual <laughs> descriptions of the character. <laughs> and I was wondering, how did uh, how did Neil take that? Or was he kind of egging you guys on? Or how did that go? Yeah, Neil, Neil could not. I think some of those were actually Neil's suggestions, just things that he had heard <laughs> over the years. Um Jerry Burns, I think, uh, came up with the big stupid baby head, which is my favorite. It's really good. Yeah. It was that was Jerry. That was, and it was. Just, we had something else there. I can't remember what it was. It was it was like a shit eating grin or something that was, you know, not as nearly as evocative. And Jerry, we just started throwing out different things every take, and this, we started. We just we couldn't stop cracking up while he was doing it, and it was like big stupid baby head was. There was also a big giant baby head at one point. We're just mm-hmm. I'm not sure which one we liked better, but. Uh, yeah, that one was funny. <laughs> I'm sure we'll see a lot of those on the DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was yeah, there was a lot of outtakes. Uh, so, uh, congratulations on getting renewed for season four. By the way, it looks like Thank you. you guys uh, are actually going to get to keep telling the story, which I'm uh, very grateful for. Um, we're, yeah, I, we're excited too. I did want to know, kind of, what's your what's your personal opinion of season two and season three? Which one? would you say that you enjoyed more? Well, you know, it's weird coming from the perspective because, you know, for season two, it was really it was my first year on the job, so there was a lot of, uh, you know, it's loaded with a lot of personal sort of, like, my reaction to the way things went and the way the stories came together and stuff. But, I mean, it's, like, watching it as a fan, which I did, you know, I watched season one as a fan and then kind of joined the show, you know, that way. I, I, I Season two had this sort of... Um, 
elegaic, you know, resonance to it that, that I really like. It felt more like a big, you know, sprawling Southern Gothic novel a little bit, and that's kind of fun. But there's some, you know, season three, what I liked about season three was just, we got a chance to be a little more Elmore with, um, with regards to just, I, I liked some of the standalones a little better this season, and I liked, um, I liked the arc of what we, I think what happened with Quarles was really interesting, and uh, it, it's, I'm still a little emotionally scarred from uh, from actually having to actually make that work, but um, but other than that, it, 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 you know, it came together, it was fun. I, I think season, was, season three was a little more fun. It was more fun for us as writers, and it was more fun for us as uh as viewers, as you know, writer viewers or whatever. Um, whereas mm-hmm. season two was a lot of work, but we were really proud of what we came up with. So, if that's evasive enough an answer, that's. Uh... <laughs> I think uh, the consensus here was that it's was it's. I don't think anything topped the individual moment of Mag's exit of the series. But right. overall, season three was, as you said, more fun, maybe a little bit more cohesive and stronger. And I think that as a four-episode mini arc to close the season, it's hard to beat what you guys put together for season three. I mean, oh, it was good. just it was just breakneck, uh, you know, just reversals and trying to figure out what was going on the whole time. And it was really entertaining. Honestly, to me, it felt like that throughout the season. I know you said there were fewer standalones, but I. I don't know that I can remember a single real standalone episode. It seemed like the plot was always moving. Even and, even yeah, the one with even the one with art that was kind of the most standalone of all right. the standalones. Mm-hmm. You guys eventually called that back with the uh, investigation uh, with the FBI. That mm-hmm. came right. uh, be, became part of a plot point that uh, uh, I think is Agent Barkley was able to kind of turn yeah. the tables on Art and suspect him of coloring outside the lines a little bit. Yeah, that's right. That's you know you're right, and I I, th- I tend to think of standalone episodes because I tend to think of like thick as mud as a standalone, and, yeah. and uh, you know. And, but you're right. I mean, we we did dig much more in the in the standalone episodes into the uh, the, the more serialized part of the show this season than we did in season in, at least the early part of season two. I think the rest of it kind of came together. But um, that's a good point. Yeah, it is. This was much more. Um, organically uh, serialized story uh, of season three, particularly with the Quarrels thing. And, and, and I'm glad to hear you say that the last four came together because it was a, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was a hard run to get those, those episodes to make sense. I don't know how much you, you heard about this, but episode 12, which is Coalition, which is the one I wrote, was initially going to be episode 11. And we got it done and realized that there was really not a whole lot of story to go after this this you know, explosion, which was kind of tabled differently in the way we initially conceived it. And um, so I wound up writing episode 12 absent an episode 11 before it to base anything on. So it just lived in its own sort of universe for, for a short period of time because we were so under the gun. We were writing episode 11 while shooting episode 12 and sort of adjusting episode 11 to 12. So it just got insane. And uh, there was a point where I think we all just went, I have no idea if this is going to work. You know, this, this could really, really go south. And uh, thank God um, the directors came in and Tim came in and we kind of pulled it all together and, and shoved it in, you know, into these two episodes and propelled it towards episode 13, which was always the idea. And it looked, it, I think it came off looking like we meant to do it, but uh, it was, there was some flying by the seat of our pants for sure. Some of that. Oh, one uh, with a follow up on that. I I actually am of the opinion that the coalition uh, number twelve that you wrote, as you said, uh, is probably the single best episode. Um, oh, wow. Into the fact that uh, episode thirteen 
was, I won't say a letdown, but it just didn't have as much. Episode 13 just felt like a natural unwinding, you know, right. a, a denouement of, of a, almost inevitable uh, things that were set forth in, in episode 12. But it did have one of the creakier moments of the season two, which was Boyd's decision to leave Quarles behind with yep. the two whores, the hundred feet of chain and unloaded shotgun. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What was what was Boyd thinking there? Was that just kind of like you said, uh, one of those moments where you're a little painted into the corner and had to make some things work? Or it's you know it's it's funny that moment is it, this is kind of a funny story. I'm glad you asked because it's here, here's how this all came to be. Like I said, this was initially going to be episode eleven, and what happened was I was covering. Okay, this is a bit of a long story, but I was covering set for Graham on episodes seven and eight. And I came back from doing that, and in the meantime, I had a tooth in my head that was just like a root canal that had failed. It was just it was agonized, just critical agonizing pain. Oof. And uh, I went back to work, and you know, and we're trying to figure out what to do about it. And they were like, listen, can you write episode 11? We've kind of got a story in place. Why don't you take a look at it and see? And I said, yeah, yeah, man, cool. I love to write 11. So I took a look at the story and said, yeah, I want to do this one. And uh, I said, okay, go ahead and write. And so in the meantime, I went and had surgery on this, on this tooth. And uh, so I came home and literally had the weekend to write the entire draft. And I was so high on Vicodin, <laughs> just so like drugged out that I wrote that initial whore party scene. And, and it just, I mean, it, it just completely came together beautifully. But initially it was not married to Boyd at all. It was just, it was just him partying in a trailer. And then when Duffy comes in and says, listen, you gotta, you know, you gotta get your shit together. You're in here with whores and you're, you know, just playing this whole thing, but ah. you know, they're coming to kill you. So I think it became one of those things where we we kind of look. I, I was really proud of the scene, and everybody kind of dug it. And I, I think we kind of let it wag the dog a little bit because we kept hanging on to that scene and changing it to sort of fit the story structure that we kept having to respond to because it was it wound up shifting to twelve, and now we had to deal with what happened in eleven and why the hell is he on this trailer and you know how did he get here? And we came up with this notion that Boyd had put him on ice, and I think it, it's hilarious. It's, it's one of those windows into. Uh, into what it's like to make a show versus like watch a show, we were all like, this totally works. You know, yeah, he totally hooks him up and does the thing, and then we get to keep the scene, and everything works. And I don't think any of us really realized how what kind of position, including Walton, who liked this. You know, it's like usually Walton is our barometer. It's, if we're making Boyd look like he's something that he wouldn't really do, Walton will say, listen, you know, I, I don't think you'd do this. And we go, you know what, you're right, we'll fix it. And he didn't do it on this one. And uh, so I don't think until it aired, any of us realized how boneheaded it kind of make you know made Boyd look, which sounds like we you know we completely abandoned ship and don't know what we're doing, but it, it just happened. You know, it's like, right? Sure. We all kind of went, oh yeah, that does kind of make him look like a moron. And and you know, I think we were. It's one of those things where you hang on to a scene that you love so much that that at the expense of a larger thing that people go, hey, you know, what the hell are you people doing? So yeah, it's one of those. It's one of those that I go, oh, God, I wish we figured that out. I shorted up a little better. Because um, I think the scene we still could have kept it and made it work, but um, anyway, so that's the long story of uh, why that scene is the way it is. I think I think Neil saved the scene with the kimono striptease, where where he basically disarmed the henchman with sheer homophobia. That that was pretty good. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, that's the thing is we're we're watching that. You know, you watch that stuff unfold, and, you're, and the other thing is we shoot this thing, and he's Neil was violently ill the day that we shot that. I mean, really, one hundred and four fever. He was sick as a dog. And, and we're out there, and it's freezing, and tra- there's no heat in this trailer, and he's butt naked in there in this kimono, which is, you know, its own whole nightmare. And then 
and, and you know, we're just there shooting. It was like this is awesome. You know, we've got we got Ario Speedwagon playing, and it's just, and it just felt like this great scene. And it just it just really didn't occur. You know, overall, what contextually what that meant that that he had put him in this position and boy, let him slip away. And, oh well, um, it was definitely a great scene. I enjoyed the hell out of that scene. Uh, it, regardless of whether or not Boyd would have actually left him there, it was just fun to watch. You know, it was a fun scene. That yeah, it was fun. And the, the, the two girls who played the horrors were great. And they were, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't know they were going to be so good, and they were funny and fun, and they had a good time with it. And what we had done to Quarles at this point, we had made him so he was so off the rails, and FX was very concerned at this point. Like, is he still <laughs> a bad guy? Is he still a compelling bad guy? Can he still? You know, are we still scared of this guy a little bit? And we were like, yeah, 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 we'll make sure that we're still scared of this guy a little bit. So there was really a close lens on that, whereas with Boyd, it was sort of like, yeah, we know what we're doing. Gotcha. So, uh, yeah. One more follow-up on that scene. Because uh, about halfway through the season, I got Rayland, the, uh, uh, the, the, the novel uh, by right. uh, Leonard. Um, and I read it all the way through, and when I saw the unloaded shotgun just kind of hanging out in the trailer... I thought about the scene in the nursing home where that harmless unloaded shotgun suddenly wasn't so harmless. Was that a little, cause you kind of used that plot, yeah. you know, in season two, was that kind of a little homage to that? A little bit. I, I think it became like when I initially wrote it again, I was just literally just completely flying on bike. And so it was, I, I was remembering the scene in platoon where, you know, where they do the thing with it's Willem Dafoe and, and right. Charlie Sheen. And I just thought it was, I always loved that scene. I thought it was a great, you know, weirdly homoerotic, you know, great, just awesome scene. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm like, totally going to steal that and then reference Cocoon and then I'll, I'll be able to use it, whatever. And uh, and then I, I think I went back and, oh, that's what it was, was that initially this party was not at Boyd, so having a shotgun wouldn't have been weird. You right. Know? Mm-hmm. Now we had to justify him having a shotgun at Boyd, so we had to do this little bit. So that's when I became a little more of the homage to, um, once once Boyd got involved and he was a prisoner, um, yeah. That's when, that's when I came together. Uh, so I want to talk, we, we talked briefly about art and um, some of the more minor characters like the whores in the trailer. But uh, Rachel and Tim are always two characters that I'm I, I'm kind of not sure how they're supposed to be used. But at the same time, I really enjoy watching them. Uh, yeah. they, they have a couple nice scenes like Tim's got a little mini arc with Raylan this season uh, where he's trying to tell him to do his job. Uh, right. Rachel's got some moments with fun. Limehouse and Quarles. Um, and then art, art is always entertaining to me. The, the interaction between Raylan and art are always great. Uh, but my question is how, how do you guys plan to use Tim and Rachel? Do do you want to get them more front and center or are they meant to be kind of the, the backup to, to Raylan, the backup to the show, I guess. I think we really want to find ways to put them more front and center. It's, 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 it's a strange dynamic that we've been dealing with, like literally since the first season, um, trying to figure out the best way to put a show that's really not an ensemble show. I mean, it kind of is, but it, you know, at the end of the day, he's the man on the, you know, Tim's the man on the poster. It's about Raylan Givens and him dealing with these different people. And I think, you know, some of the ways that I think were fun was using Tim. Tim is so great at, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Jacob is so good as Tim at sort of, both of them are, at giving Raylan shit and reminding you that Raylan is not a fun person to be around. You know, he's he's funny to watch on TV and he does his thing, but like to work with him is a, it, it's hard. And so, you know, putting them in that kind of position, I think, is fun. But what, what we wind up running into when we when we start to script towards 
Erica or Jacob too much is that we start running into the very special episode, you know, fear where it's like, this is an episode about Rachel. And, and mm-hmm. if we, we started to do that a little bit with, um, good Lord, was that the season? Um, not cut ties. Um, yeah, cut ties. We started to try and do that a little bit where she sort of bonded with this witness protection family. And the more we did it, there's Graham's very concerned about anything us coming off as earnest, you know, and it just doesn't work on this show. Mm. And so, if you wind up when you start engineering um, episode-long attachments, emotional attachments for these characters to get into, it starts to venture into that territory. Sometimes it feels like so. It's it's hard. We you know we have to find more organic ways to pull them into the stories that we're doing, which I think we're definitely taught. That's one of the big things we're talking about for season four is is you know starting out with finding a way to make this a show about you know the Marshall family and, and pulling them more into the episode more organically because they're they're so great and um, they are underused and. Um, you know, we want to try and find ways to fix that. All right. Let's talk about Ava a bit. Um, she had a really interesting arc this season. She went from rescuing Ellie Mae from the abusive pimp uh, to being an abusive pimp herself. Where do <laughs> yeah. you guys as the writers stand on her? I mean, I can see her actions as somewhat, uh, no pun intended, justified <laughs> in the context Ellie had kind of betrayed her and Boyd uh, to right. Dickie. But still, it's a pretty dark place for her character to go, right? Yeah, I mean, that was, if there's one, you know, guiding light that I think we knew going into this season was that we wanted to do it. First of all, we started out with this with this theme that, that Graham and, and us kind of came in with, which is crossing the line. You know, like, what, there's always lines that we're going to cross. In fact, it was scripted in, in Graham's that I wound up shoot. We wound up not shooting. We changed the line for other reasons, but it was like, you know, there's some lines that we, we don't cross, and then suddenly you find yourself looking back at the line and didn't even realize you crossed it. And, and that's sort of one of the things with Ava that we knew that she, one of the big things she had established in the season two was no whores. And, well, that's a, you know, clearly a line in the sand that we can, you know, find dramatic ways for her to cross. And, and it's just fun. It just was fun to give her something to do um, so that she wasn't constantly sort of, you know, sidelined by boys or sidelined by the, what the men are doing. She's kind of, she starts finding herself in, in doing this, she's sort of embracing her criminal, uh, she's embracing criminality with Boyd in this sort of, um, sort of, I don't know, this sort of naive way, which I think is really fun for us to, to play with a little bit. And seeing she and feeling what it feels like to punch somebody, and feeling the sort of rush off of that, and also the, the repulsion of having having turned into what she said she wasn't going to be. And I think I think that tension is really interesting for an actor to play, and and, and especially Joelle. You know, she's going really to really kill it. So, uh, I wanted to go back to Limehouse a little bit. Um, he's one of my favorite characters since the beginning of season three. Uh, he was set up as kind of the. the I guess the big bad of the season, um, but he kind of turned out towards the end of the season to be more along the Wizard of Oz, and, and there was a whole theme that we saw uh, towards the end of the season with that. Uh, was that something that came about because, like you said earlier, uh, you kind of just didn't get to do everything you wanted to do with Limehouse this season, or was that when did you decide that he was going to go that direction? I think what kind of happened was like when you start this when you start a season out on a show, I think typically. You have some idea of what what the end point is going to be for the season. You, you know, like I think we knew that the carpetbagger was going to come in and was not going to be able to leave Harlan alive, no pun intended. But we 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 didn't really know. We also knew that we wanted to do this, you know, this African American crime family. But we didn't really until we started researching it and learning about Co Ridge and and sort of the the reality of some of this stuff. We didn't realize how kind of rich a world it was. Whereas Quarles 
we knew we could kind of get in and we'd get him in and out of season. It wasn't going to be a, a long arc with him. With Limehouse, the more we sort of, as we were writing the episodes, we started discovering more and more about the layers of this guy, and we kind of went, you know what? We got a lot of villains, and if we really try and kill everybody off at the end of the season, it's going to be, it's going to be first of all, a bloodbath of biblical proportions. It's uh-huh. going to be kind of ridiculous, and it'll look like we're trying to outdo ourselves. You know what I mean? Like we did, that was one of the reasons that the finale was sort of the way it was. It's like, you know, we've done a similar kind of finale twice. Let's do something a little different that's a little more emotional this season. And, and uh, uh, I'm rambling. Anyway, um, the point is, <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we, I think we discovered that Limehouse was, was a very uh, valuable piece of, uh, you know, like a chess piece on the board a little bit, as, you know, independent of how good he is, is playing him and everything else. Um, he's very, he, you know, he was able to put pull together a lot of disparate um, characters that otherwise would be hard to pull to pull together yeah um, so definitely. yeah so i think you know we're definitely thinking about pulling him through into season four and uh in some capacity at least and probably in a, a fairly significant one uh going moving on to johnny um i called him as being a little shifty and restless with Boyd's situation early on in the season i thought that uh you guys are clearly painting every time the camera drifted to him and boyd was talking he had kind of this uh almost constipated look on his face. Uh, And I like being right, so that was nice to see pay off. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, My question, why did he not just let Devil kill Boyd? Or does Johnny have some other motivation or some other just just wanting kind of Boyd out of the way, not necessarily kill him? I think think he saw – there's there's sort of a mix of a practical answer and and a story answer on that. The practical answer to that is – you know, Devil, we didn't want to get rid of Devil quite as, as quickly as we did um, from a story perspective, just because he was a good character and useful, and we wanted to build that sort of, that sense of betrayal a little longer than we wound up doing it, which was literally one episode, and then a little rewriting to put into back episodes. But because of that, you know, it, it, we, we sort of had to really think quickly about how John, where Johnny sat on the fence, on the continuum of, of how much he likes or hates Boyd. And we figured out pretty quickly that he would probably feel a little pissed that, you know, all this sort of stuff happened the way it did. And so we wrote to that in the first few episodes. So Johnny, when when Johnny, the devil Johnny thing went down, uh, we were still, I think we were still, the jury was still out on where Johnny sat on that. And I think the way we answered it creatively, um, second part of the question, is that I think Johnny was is smart enough to know that devil was not the, the horse to back um, to beat Boyd. Even if he did beat Boyd, then they would be... You know, I don't think Johnny is a, is a white supremacist and, and, and mm. uh, in quite the way that uh, the devil is. And devil's, you know, ideals will probably supersede the business. And I think mm. that was kind of what Johnny's take on. Like, this guy is not, you know, I'd rather... Plus, he was probably already working, I think, at that point with Limehouse, to some degree anyway. And, right. And uh, figured Limehouse is a better, uh, a better play to back. Yeah, I can't see Johnny following devil uh, like he follows Boyd. Or, or I guess he exactly. used to. Uh, yeah, he's just too. Yeah, he's too histrionic about his his beliefs and stuff. I think. My other big question about Johnny is, what is his connection to Ava? Is he jealous of Boyd being with Ava? Does he want Ava for himself? Because it certainly seemed like that in some of the the looks that he gave. Yeah, I think you know we played with that. We played with there. There was a scene, and I can't remember which episode it was in, but there was a scene where where Johnny sort of stands up and, and walks over, I think it may have been 10 or 11, um, guy was into a bar maybe, where he walks over to Dave and sort of, it's sort of showing her that he's a man and, you know, he's not completely, you know, diminished by, by being in a wheelchair. And, 
and we we played a lot with that theme, like how far do we want to go? How far do we want to play that Johnny would, um, you know, would would go this direction? And I, I believe we sort of pulled it back quite a bit from where we had it going, and then and then like you said, let it play with looks. And so I think we I think what we're basically playing is that Johnny's, you know, his sense of disenfranchisement with with the situation at Boyd's, where Boyd gets Ava, and he's been you know he there was a time when Johnny would have been the guy to get Ava. And, um, and you know he's sort of feeling that sense of you know where can I how can I get out of this and uh, so yeah I think I think he does kind of want I think he is sort of lusting after Ava in a way but also knowing that that's not going to happen. Um, so it's kind of more general. Uh, Boyd just has everything and I want it. I think a little bit. I think a sense that yeah, sort of that sense of you know this this guy it's his fault that I mean yeah I'm alive and he's done the right thing by me in some way but he's it's also his fault that I'm sitting in his wheelchair and yeah. I can't forget the betrayals that he you know inflicted upon me early on and uh, so yeah I'm gonna bide my time and I got nothing better to do um, I'll wait it out and when I get my chance I'm gonna strike. I didn't get that him getting out of his wheelchair was like a, a demonstration that hey I'm not I'm not I'm still f- uh, functional below the waist Ava. <laughs> right right I can I can you know. I can move things below my waist, <laughs> my legs. Uh, moving yeah. on to Raylan and Arlo. Uh, Raylan, his old man, hit a new low this season, which is saying something considering that Arlo's already tried to sell him off to another gangster. <laughs> uh, with Arlo now in jail, uh, do you think that that pretty much wraps up the arc of Raylan's daddy issues, or do you see it kind of beginning a whole new chapter now that he's got this baby on the way? I think it'll, you know, I don't think we're going to go back into the Arlo well, you know, obviously the degree that we have so far. I think that, yes, I think to a certain extent it wraps up with some finality, any notion that, that there's going to be a rapprochement between um, Arlo and Raylan. So I think he's, you know, he's pretty much done there. And, and uh, But, yeah, I think it is going to propel the daddy issues that, uh, that Raylan will definitely have will, will be visited upon, you know, having a child himself and kind of dealing with what that means. <clears throat> um, given where he comes from, which was actually going to be the last line of the finale, by the way, it was—I uh, can't remember what it was. I think it was some version of him saying, "What kind? You know, with it coming from a family like this, what kind of father am I going to be?" And Winona saying, "You're going to be whatever kind of father you want to be," and that was the end. And it just didn't feel quite as strong when once we got in there as what, what they wound up doing, which I thought was, you know, pretty neat. Uh, with you guys, I'm not sure how much time you're going to skip uh, ahead in the plot, but are we going to get to see Raylan's kid next year? Um, that's a good question, and I, I don't, we definitely, we don't know yet. Ah. I think probably, I, I think it would be, you know, it, it is weird the way we compress time on this show, because, I mean, these, like, the, like, the whole, we talked about before, the whole series has taken place over, like, four days. <laughs> um, but, um, I, I think, you know, we're, we're just talking, we're just trying to figure that out. The, the, the issue of, of how to deal with, um, Raylan having a son and, and like not turning it into Dexter, you know, where it's, you know, it becomes about that. You know what I mean? Like it, we just, we're, we're trying to kind of figure out what that looks like still. Um, one of our big discussion points at these meetings. Uh, speaking of some of Raylan's problems, uh, well, first of all, I was going to say, yeah, I thought it was pretty final that Arlo went to prison and there wouldn't be any more issues, but we've seen how effective prison is at actually keeping people uh, contained well, in so this I, series. Yeah, we, I thought it'd be interesting to see uh, Arlo goes to prison. Obviously, they're going to make him take his medication, right? 
That right. I mean, and wouldn't that be kind of interesting that uh, he kind of gets straightened out and has some remorse? And I, I almost see like you know, Raylan visited him and having these kind of like father son reconnection between the glass themes. I don't know how much I want to see that justified, yeah. but it would be interesting. I also think there's also the chance of putting Arlo in a home. You know, there's uh, a chance that he could beat. You know, we again, we none of this is spoiler alert. We really don't know exactly what we're going to do with him. But I, I do think that yeah, there is definitely more of that story to tell. But I don't think it'll be. You know, it won't be center point the way it kind of has been the last few seasons. But um, but yeah, I think I think definitely. You know, we've got. You know, there's just all kinds of stuff in the Raylan book that we haven't we haven't we you know tend to find different ways of using and you know we might we might dig into some of that for Arlo and you know there's there's all kinds of fun things we could do with him. Uh, so I think in the finale of this season, we saw Raylan uh, being typical Raylan. I mean, especially the the scene with Duffy where he plays Arlen Roulette with him. Uh, he's kind of on the ball. But throughout this season, though, we've seen him, in my opinion, kind of stepping more into a drinking problem, uh, mm-hmm. living above that bar. And he's constantly, he looks more tired. He looks more out of it. Um, yeah. I was wondering if that was something that you guys consciously did and if you're planning on exploring the uh, maybe Raylan with a drinking problem. It's interesting. We, you know, we, I don't think we, I don't think we, we specifically looked, looked to explore, although we do sort of hint at it that he's, you know, maybe drinking a little too much. Um, one of the reasons, <laughs> it's funny you say that Raylan looks tired, is, that, you know, a lot of that finale, um, uh, Tim had caught whatever it was that, that uh, Neil had on the episode 12. <laughs> I guess they shouldn't have been making out. Sorry, um, <laughs> but um, they, you know, so uh, Tim was like sick as a dog when they shot the thing where he comes in with Arlo and he says, you know, he, he has the conversation with Boyd about the apples, and he was very, very sick when they did that. So and it worked great in the scene because you know he was just so beaten down by this news. And mm-hmm. um, but yeah, he was. I, I don't, so I don't think it was. It's, I don't think we're intentionally heading into that territory. I think it was more just Tim having the flu. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one of, uh, our favorite moments here in season three was when, uh, the bullet that Raylan dropped on Duffy came back to haunt him. Mm -hmm. Uh, we thought it's like, as soon as we saw that, we're like, damn, that was a, that was a nice little callback. Uh, was that plan for the bullet right there from the beginning? Or was that something you realized you could do kind of one of those mid season light bulb moments? It was, uh, in the course of breaking the actual episode. Uh, or at least, you know, the episode sort of around there. Because we did, I think it was around, that was seven and eight. I think we had done, you know, so five and six sort of came together, as a, four or five and six came together as a piece, and then seven and eight we were going to shoot together. And I think it came in the course of, of breaking the actual story. It was one of those, like, holy shit, it's the actual bullet that, he, you know, we did that thing in the room and mm-hmm. danced around and then probably broke early in, in eight, which we usually do. Um, <laughs> and then got that put together. And, and I'm trying to remember with, with that. Um, did you guys pick up, because nobody seemed to get this in the last one, but the gun that, that Raylan takes, uh, where, that Quarles takes off a of Raylan, the second gun, is, is keeper gun and says, you know, what about this one? And Raylan says, you can keep that one. That's actually the gun that killed Gary, and that's yeah. why he's letting oh, Quarles. Yeah, yeah we, we, we got that. Okay, yeah, you guys are, yeah. And all of our listeners I, did, too, because we told them. <laughs> <laughs> Good. 
because it was so it's like it kind of flew by. I was like, wait a minute, what happened with the thing where we were going to explain that? We're like, yeah, we did sort of. Yeah, so. I thought that was really sly, especially because it's basically sold with Raylan. You have to know about the speech he gave about returning things and what he right. told when, and then the way he phrased. It's like, no, that one you can keep. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. That was intentional. That was all sort of. I mean, it may be it may be one step a little too mustache twirly for Raylan, but um, but you know, <laughs> we, we kind of we thought it was fun. You know, we just we got a kick out of the notion that Raylan's got a. You know, he's a little bit ahead of the game, even when he looks like he's he's ahead of the game in certain ways, even when he forgets to do other things, like look at a picture of a criminal in episode one. And, sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or keeping the gun in his apartment was a little fishy uh, for yeah, someone who's yeah. a marshal. Yeah, it was one of those. I think it was one of those on the end of the day. We were going to, we had a whole elaborate plan of getting rid of the gun, and then or what it was, but it was, it was one of those that was like, we went, yeah, people are going to think Raylan's an idiot for doing this, and for some reason we were like, yeah, yeah, whatever. He, the other thing is that Raylan making, you know, poor. Put Raylan, we, we've seen Raylan make mistakes, which I think is fun. And then so when he does something like that, you kind of go, ah, oh, he would never. Well, yeah, he kind of maybe he would. Is he that? You know, that kind of thing. So, um, but then we were able to pay it off later, so it, it seemed like it kind of worked. One one thing as a Raylan fan, uh, I, I by my count he's got two open investigations against him. Uh, one federal, one at the state uh, or at the Lexington level. Is that something that uh, maybe would come back to haunt him, or is it eventually going to pile up and catch up? Maybe I, you know I um, we definitely did two. I mean, we didn't do a lot of investigation in this shooting stuff in season two, but yeah, there was a lot of it in season one and and season three. I, you know I don't I don't know we would. What, you know, it's definitely playing into like what's next for Raylan in the wake of you know what's happened in, in season three. Where is he going to go? Where are we going to start the series? Uh, start the season next season? Mm-hmm. How much are we going to spend time in Harlan? How much more are we going to have Raylan going to Boyd? And you know, we're we're trying to find ways to open the show up a little bit. And so I think the, these investigations may play into that um, a little bit, at least uh, early on in the season next season, to kind of get us propelled into the next thing. Uh, we've kind of talked about a couple of our favorite moments throughout the season. I was just wondering if you, uh, as a writer, have any favorite moments of, of the season that maybe we haven't talked about yet. You know, I think more than even like a moment, I think it was, it was watching Jerry Burns, who we always loved and, and has always done great work on the show, but just watching him, his reactions to just <laughs> stuff the quarrel. <laughs> and he's just like being there on the day and just watching him do it and just uh, – He's a great actor, and I think you know he's definitely one that we just used more and more, and we'll definitely see more of in season four and beyond. Hopefully, um, I, I think watching him do his thing was great. I, seeing the because there were a couple of cuts that I didn't, I never saw because I was on set or whatever, and seeing the cut of uh, first of all, thick as mud, um, episode five mm-hmm. after I'd been on four, and I didn't really have the you know I wrote the initial outline that included thick as mud, and then we split it into two episodes, and so it went off and became John Worley and Ben Cavell's episode and seeing it after that and going, holy crap, that was just like a bullet train of fun. And mm-hmm. uh, and then episode 10 was the same way because I'd worked on eight, uh, seven and eight and I came out and I hadn't seen a cut of 10. And when I saw the stuff with, uh, actually my sister um, e- emailed me and said, was very disturbed by the end of episode 10, which is the one where Quarles goes in with the boy and has his speech and takes off his clothes and goes in and you don't know what happens. Mm-hmm. She was, you know, just mortified by this. She was like, what the hell are you people doing over there? And, uh, <laughs> and I hadn't seen it. So I was like, uh, yeah, I knew kind of what happened, but 10 was really in flux. And it's part of the reason that 11 and 12 were such, you know, we just sort of spiraled, trickled down. And so I watched it and went, holy God, that was good. That was a really fun episode, you know. And it's fun to get caught by surprise 
uh, on the show that you work on, you know, and, and see mm-hmm. something that you just, you know, that knocks you back in your chair. And you go, damn, you know, I work with good people. And um, it's kind of neat. Uh, speaking of getting caught by surprise uh, and, and Jerry Burns, uh, that season or that episode uh, finale there where he is in the trailer with uh, Raylan and he's playing Harlan Roulette was intense. I mean, I didn't know that the guy could act like he was there yeah. because he's always so low-key and so reserved. But then when he's got a gun in his face, Raylan's pulling the trigger a couple times, uh, yeah. his demeanor changes quite a bit. Yeah. His so, true colors really, yeah, really come through. Yeah, and he's so bitten back for so much of the the, the series, you know. Mm-hmm. Based on what he wanted to do, he wanted to start to get really angry, take it to a you know sort of a high place because he's like, I'm not really doing anything. And I was like, dude, just bear with us. I swear to God, we have something better for you coming. It's gonna be, you're gonna get to lose it. You know, we got this idea, and so he was like, all right, cool, you know, and and then kept that that wind up, demeanor the whole way through until episode 13, so that we could. You know, it could kind of explode him that way. It, was, it worked out pretty well. It was one of those nice little moments to see. Oh, yeah. I mean, three uh, three seasons of him being low-key really earned and sold that moment, too. Yeah. The whole, Jesus yeah. Christ, at the end. <laughs> yeah, and, he's just, and he just, he's just, his face is all red. And he's just, yeah. He's just absolutely apoplectic. And, and yeah, it, it was fun to watch. It was the same thing with the Cleaver thing. Cause there was another thing that... Look, we were all aware as writers and producers of the show that every time we'd go to Limehouse, he's like either cutting something or making meat or, you know, and by the end of it, it came like, Jesus, you know. And a lot of that was, again, driven by um, just the way we had to shoot stuff. We just, we had some of these standing sets and we just had to shoot a lot of that stuff on there. But, you know, you definitely like, oh my God, one more thing with the cleaver. I'm going to poke my own eye out. And then, you know, getting, letting him, you know, lop off the arm of corals, but we felt like, okay, we, we, at least we feel like we've earned that moment, you know. Yeah, I think the knives for for thirteen episodes. (laughs) Uh, My my one other question about that that scene with uh, Raylan and Duffy there: Did Raylan palm that bullet, or was that bullet in the the chamber there? I believe the bullet was in the chamber, and I wasn't Mm -hmm. there when they shot that scene. But I remember there was discussion over that Um, because what happened was I think I can't remember how this exactly shook down, but Dave Andron was on set for for, because we were splitting up some of the, the scenes, and I think he was kind of talking to Fred back and forth about that scene. And what they came up with was that we we we, we believe that bullet's in there. Um, and I, I think it is. I think he actually loaded that gun. I think he's reached that point where, uh, you know, and you can, we can kind of look at it like, you know, he might know which chamber the, I don't know. But, um, but uh, you can actually see sometimes if you look down the barrel of it, you know, you can see that whether or not a chamber is loaded from behind on some guns. And, sure. You know, we were kind of debating whether or not he could see and whatever. But um, I think, yeah, I think he's uh, he was pissed. And he had it with Wynn Duffy and was willing to take the chance on uh, putting a bullet in him. But uh, that's that's just my thing. I don't I don't know, you know, like that's not the official, uh, you know, Raylan Givens um, Ministry of Information. Right. <laughs> Uh, this is something we kind of forgot to ask last time, and it dovetails with this as far as favorite moments. Um, was there a favorite moment behind the scenes during the production, uh, a kind of a moment with the, the cast and crew that you'd like to share with the listeners? Oh, wow, yeah. Um, gosh, there were just so many. <laughs> no, I, they're, they're really good. They're, they're it's, it's such a great crew. Um, God, you know, as far as the cast goes, I, was, I still, was still one of the big things for me was was killing, uh, killing Kevin Rankin off at the end of, of four. Just the way that whole thing went down was was one of those just 
wow, you know, I'm doing exactly, I'm getting to see something that I, I really love to see, and I'm part of it, and it was, it was such a great moment to watch that whole thing happen at the last shot of the night, and boy, uh, Walton, you know, the way he delivers that whole thing, it, it just really came together nicely as a moment behind the scenes, and then, you know, that, that gun going off, and them calling rap, and everybody saying goodbye to Kevin, and, you know, let's all go get a beer, and it was, it was just cool, you know, it was, it was, that was a really fun thing, and then, uh, from my episodes, it was just it was it was uh, shooting that stuff. You know, the horror party stuff was was hilarious and fun, and and just you know we just had such a good working with Neil. Generally, there was there was another thing. Okay, here's something that I liked. Um, there was I can't remember which episode it was in. Maybe eight, maybe seven, but it's where Neil's driving around. He's listening to a preacher, and he's taking oxycontin. And he's oh yeah. The car and it's like, well, they had at the last minute. I was I was covering set for that. At the last minute, they. The writers' room sent over a draft that they just went. Oh, we should do instead of the, the country preacher. Let's have him listening to Gary's self-help tapes. It'll be hilarious. You know, he'll be listening to Gary's, you know, tapes and <laughs> and doing this kind of stuff. And we all went, oh, that is funny. You know, that'll, that'll be hilarious. And then Neil got it and went, dude, I, I, that completely changes who I am in the scene. It completely changes everything. And yeah. He, mm-hmm. And I was like, no, 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 it's funny. And, 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 he, and he convinced me pretty quickly that I was like, you know what, you're right. This is it's better this way. So I called back and said, listen, this is great. You guys came up with awesome stuff. We need to keep it the way it was. And it became sort of an internal, it wasn't like an argument, but it was sort of like, well, what is the best way to handle this? Who are, what are we saying about where he is? And, and we wound up using the preacher thing, and it, it felt like it felt like a victory for the for the story and for the character, and, and that was kind of one of those moments where where it's just fun to watch the actor sort of like, no, it needs to be this, and, and another person thinks it needs to be that, and and watching it come together into a, what I think was a pretty powerful scene, and um, so that was that yeah. was a nice moment. Uh, I, I'm actually glad you guys went that way because I think it was episode four where Devils killed. Um, that he kind of gave this speech like a preacher. Uh, and we right. were wondering where that came from because that was the first mention of anything like that in his character. So had that not been in there, the scene with him driving in the car, we may not have ever understood that. Plus, thematically, yeah. the whole good and evil and the temptation and the the way you guys did, you play this really unhinged music, the slowly built up and that. Right. It just really set that character on his new trajectory. We had known him as the suit, and now we're getting to know him as a crazy man. And I think that playing it for laughs uh, yeah I, 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 you guys made the right call you, you see, go like oh yeah it would be funny yeah it like, would hey, yeah, I, when you soon as you said that that would be hilarious the guy he, he yeah. you know was, was offing or planning to off um right. and it, he's got the tapes on the you know it, it's funny and, and you know as writers it's like you know we we tend to you know this is such a dark milieu to, to play in that it's like any chance we get to leaven it with you know cracking ourselves up then we, we tend to go for it yeah, we, it's, it's the danger of, again, it's the whore party thing. It's, it's the danger of falling in love with something at the expense of, of the, you know, the bigger story. And um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a very easy trap to fall into, I think, for, for writers. Uh, I, I did want to ask about uh, Shelby, who's been kind of appointed the temporary sheriff there in Harlan County. Uh, in your mind, is that now a permanent thing? Or I know I know there's an election coming up in three months. Uh, has, has Napier got a shot does he think he has a shot is he going to run for that what's going on there that's a good question um i, I don't think we, part of it part of it comes down to actor availability with um, with jim beaver and stuff like that mm-hmm. so we would love to have because we, we've loved shelby since episode five of season two he's just you know where well, we've loved shelby the character and we've loved jim beaver playing him so it's like the more we tried to get more we we're going to try and do more with jim beaver um this year 
but we just it just their schedules just didn't work out, and so so it's it's hard to say. If we'd like to do more with uh, with Shelby for sure, and uh, and uh, Sheriff Napier. I mean, I think it's it's an interesting thing to do, and there's at least one more story beat I think to play there that that could be fun. Mm-hmm. But again, it comes down to um, you know what his schedule is and, and uh, whether we can make it work. So we're, we're uh, approaching the point in the cast where you're probably not going to be able to answer a lot of these questions. <laughs> uh, but we're going to ask him anyway. Uh, Dickie, yeah. last time we saw him, he shot, uh, moaning on the ground. Is he dead or in jail? I think he's, def- I, he's definitely not dead. Um, Good. Although we, <laughs> yeah. there, was, there was some talk back and forth of – initially in, in the original – again, this, this – Episode 12 went through such incredible changes over the course of seven days that we shot it. It's, it's hard to even remember exactly how it wound up. But initially, we we shot uh, we had shoot him once, and he goes out the door, and then he shoots him again on the ground, and then looks at the limehouse because because mm-hmm. he's going for a gun, and it just felt too too punitive. It just felt too cruel to to you know to shoot Dickie on the ground like that. So we we went out um, we went out this way and kind of left it open to see. How the story shakes out for next season, whether or not Dickie's going to be back. You know, the, the trouble is, like now he's in prison. He's really in prison. You know, it's right. he's going to be hard to get him back out again. <laughs> after this. So, what about Quarles? Is he dead? Um, we left it sort of intentionally. I, I think everybody sort of assumed that he died. We we kind of left it that you don't see him bleed out in case he's. We we kind of left a lot of our options open for. We just don't know how we want to start season four and what kind of balls we still want to have in play. I think we're definitely going to revisit the tone and well the Theo Tonin well a little bit. And so having Robert alive, you know, having, you know, survived that somehow, then, uh, you know, they got a tourniquet on him. Maybe, you know, I, I saw him, I survived on the biography channel the other night about uh, somebody who, like, cut his own arm off and would survive, like, 36 hours after that. So it's like, wow. maybe, you know, hmm. you know yeah, it was really disturbing, actually. Uh, <laughs> well, I didn't see anybody moving to, like, put a tourniquet on it or anything. Yeah. So I, yeah, I no just one was really racing all... to save his life. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> so I was wondering. Yeah. Uh, how about Duffy? Is uh, I know Duffy didn't get shot or anything, so he's still around. Uh, do you think you're going to bring him back with uh, maybe some play into Tonin's organization there, as we we saw hints of in the last few episodes? I think so. You know, I, I, I hope so. Um, I mean, again, it depends on you know schedules and all that. But uh, Jerry was so great, and you know he's just fun, and he's kind of grown into his own sort of character over the course of. Um, um, Season three, I think, working across from from Neil and stuff, and so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I we definitely love Wind Duffy and we love Jerry, so we definitely would uh, would try and find ways to make that work. Uh, I have got a kind of out from left field request, but can I put a bid in to have Loretta be the big bad for some season? I mean, maybe not season four, but like uh, season six, the team, the team queen of Harlan. I got, I wanted this to happen. <laughs> I, you know, I, why not? You know, we we definitely keep coming back to the well of is she or isn't she? You know, a, a bad person. You know, in her soul a little bit, and uh, I, I think more and more, it's fun to see her sort of embrace the dark side. And uh, yeah, I think that'll be fun. Plus, she has a ton of money, so she can yeah. really she's loaded now. Yeah, she's uh, she's uh, she'll be and, and you know she's gonna be cool about it. Yeah, I, I definitely think Caitlin Deaver is so great, and I love writing for for her and for that character so much that I think there are definitely ways we will see her. One way or the other, again, um, doing something, maybe something completely different, or maybe um, you know more of the same. It's hard to say. Uh, hold on a second. Um, so, as far as the structure goes, I've read an interview with uh, Graham 
where he's thinking of doing more three or four episode mini arcs rather than one season long art for next uh, season. Do you would you care to weigh in on that and kind of elaborate on the thought line there? Yeah, I mean, we're talking one of the things we like structurally. I still think there will always be sort of an overall seasonal arc for for particularly for Boyd and you know the. Um, and for and I think for Raylan as well, but I think one of the things we we kind of found interesting this last season was like the like the scene how the Harlan Roulette stuff with Pruitt Taylor events where we had this phenomenal actor and then we 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 killed him at the end of the episode and then we had another you know we had Fletcher Nix at the at the first one and you know we shot him on the shoulder but basically we killed him at the end of the episode and it's so we were just kind of trying to open it up to the idea of having um, somewhat more a somewhat more serialized longer arc for some of these characters some of these bad guys to come through. Um, and give them a little more to do and give us a little more time to play out a story while running the serialized stuff behind it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, so it's more, it's it's almost like a standalone three-episode arc instead of a standalone episode. Because um, sometimes it just, you know, 42 minutes just doesn't quite tell the story you want to tell about some of these people. So, I was kind of excited to see that because that was, when I was reading the book Raylan, that was very much the feel of that book. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's one kind of what put the, you know, we started we started noodling on the structure of that book and the way it's sort of, you know, the stories are told independently, but they dovetail into one another yep. and fold in and out of one another. And that, I think that's very interesting storytelling technique and something that, you know, I think we want to try. And, you know, we, we, the other thing we tried to do this season, we tried to do a flashback thing. And, you know, we started, the more we played with it, it kind of fell apart and we just couldn't, you know, make it work in the context of the show. So who knows what will happen? I mean, it may, not, it may not be as easy to do as we think it'll be and it won't work, but that's what we're thinking anyway. Uh, one thing that season three did as well is kind of open up the locations, I guess, that we got to see. Uh, we saw some in Detroit there with Theo. We saw uh, Lexington. We saw uh, Harland, of course. I-, I was wondering if you plan to do more with those locations or maybe show us other places as well. Yeah, I think that's one of the things, one of the things we're definitely talking about. Um, as we talk, at least in season four, is potentially you know maybe starting out somewhere else um, and then, you know, Pulling I think we'll always visit the Harlan. I think Harlan will always be a home for the show, um, thematically and for Boyd and, and for you know the family ties that Har- that uh, Raylan will have there. But I think also, yeah, I think we definitely want to see more of Detroit because it's it's a very Elmore world, and um, even potentially Florida or California. You know, taking just taking us out of there a little bit, and taking Raylan out of there. Really, one of the other things we really want to focus on this next season is is making sure that Raylan is the center. Of, uh, of the show, when you get a lot of bad guys going, one of the things we ran into is making sure that we had to keep Raylan, you know, driving the show. And um, so I think we're going to focus more on that um, in season four uh, by pulling him out of Harlan a little bit, and you know, uh, letting some of the story play out there because we've set up these characters we can actually live with outside of Raylan a little bit, and then let Raylan have his own story. Well, I had a listener wanted to know uh, who came up with Dickie's crazy hairdo that he sported, like from the that's from actually, the court sequence on. That's Jeremy. That's all Jeremy. Jeremy. I uh, knew it. Um, I mean, like they do. Our hair department does a great job, and they do they do nice work, and they make it the full the full Jeremy. But no, that's uh, he shaved his own. Side. You know, he showed it. He asked if he could do it, and we we're like, "Yeah, man, you know, go for it." <laughs> And, uh, you know, he just kept showing up more and more disheveled every time he showed up. So it was, yeah, it was all Jeremy. God, that's hilarious. Uh, one other question she had was uh, she, uh, she actually grew up in the South, and she couldn't help but notice the loud cricket sounds in some of the nighttime scenes, especially the ones in Noble Holler. 
Do you guys have those? Because you guys shoot in California. Do you have those sounds as well out there? Is it artificial? And she wants to know whose no. job it is to know to include such perfect details like that. Wow, good question. Um, it's um, it's our post-production supervisor who they go in and, um, you know, just like in the old days with Foley where they would, you know, in radio shows where they'd make the feet walk along the floor. There's right. a whole, you know, in post-production sound, they have just banks and banks of crickets and dogs barking and, you know, just jets going over whatever else you could you could imagine for ambient noise. And uh, no, they throw, a lot of that stuff, you know, will shoot next to a train track. You know? <laughs> like a train will be like zipping by and you have to loop all the sound. And <laughs> um, So, I mean, yeah, we definitely get some bugs in California, but, but no, all that stuff is done by our post department. All right. I... To make it feel more like a, you know, they, they, by the way, you're just adding on to that. They just... They go a long way towards making it feel like you're you're really there. I think that's a really good point she makes. Uh, so that's about all we've got. We were kind of curious. Uh, do you have any updates on your Downton Abbey on aircraft carrier project? <laughs> I, you know, I, I go I go back to Fox to pitch it next week. Awesome, you know, we're, great. We're busily uh, busily trying to make it work, and and who knows, you know, it it, it could work. It was so funny because when I, you know initially pitched it, nobody was really pitching Downton Abbey on it. Now it's all the pitches are like it's down Navi on a right you know, a hot air balloon. Uh-huh. Okay, so um, yeah, we're we're uh, we're rethinking it a little bit to that end, but yeah, it's uh, you know, who knows? Any other uh, Taylor <laughs> Elmore fan or uh, news for the fans? You know, it's all uh, I'm just kind of enjoying having a little time off and uh, working on the pilot thing and going back for some more Justified next season. Okay. Uh, anything else? Uh, I think that's about it. Yeah, uh, again, thanks so much for giving us some more of your time. Uh, we love Justified. Can't wait for season four. And uh, good work on that. Thanks, man. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate being on. And good luck with the podcast. And you know, keep me posted. Uh, we'll start talking maybe next season. I would love that. Yeah, It'd be nice great. to as as you get a little bit uh, further in the process or right before the season starts, maybe have a kickoff with you. And that's it for the interview. Uh, Want to go ahead and do an outro, Aaron? Yeah. First off, thanks again so much, Taylor, for your time. Uh, thanks, Ed K. again, for hooking us up. Thanks to all our listeners that wrote us in great questions. We uh, uh, got into got the, uh, got into the podcast. Good Lord. Uh, our standard outro, um, this is the last time we'll be doing it for Justified for about another year. Uh, if you like what we do, uh, you'd like to keep up with our other casts, such as Mad Men and Game of Thrones are going on strong now. We also do Breaking Good and or Breaking Bad, rather, and the a Walking Dead podcast. Uh, you can follow all that at baldmove.com. If you'd like to join our Facebook site, you can do so, facebook.com slash baldmove, and Jim holds down Twitter at baldmove. You can support us by leaving an iTunes review. We sure would appreciate that under our Justified podcast. Uh, leave us an appropriate star rating. Give us a review. That helps us uh, grow our audience, find more listeners. Uh, tell a friend if you got a Justified, hardcore Justified friend uh, about our cast so they can join in on the fun. And finally, if uh, you shop on iTunes anyway, why not use our affiliate link at amazon.baldmove.com. We also have a nice banner at the top of our baldmove.com site that uh, redirects you there and you'll find amazon's homepage with our affiliate link embedded and that means that anything that you buy we get a teeny tiny cut of amazon's profit off of that it doesn't take come out of your pocket there's no extra charge it just gives us a little bit of love and who doesn't want to get a little bit of love who doesn't want to give a little bit of love i love the love i love giving love i love receiving love <laughs> all right getting kind of gross in here uh, once again thank you taylor for joining us on this podcast uh 
We'll probably be speaking with him again in the future. Sounds like it. But until then, I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. See you next year. See you next year.